Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go and check out all that the Dice Tower has to offer. There's tons of great news and reviews and a host of sister podcasts in the network. Surely something there for everybody. Go and check out Board Game Insider or uh, go and check out Flip the Table. There's so many choices there. There's surely something for everyone to enjoy. That's at Dicetower.com. The Long View is also generously sponsored by GameSurplus.com. Go and find out why they're my first choice whenever I'm looking to buy a board game online. They have unparalleled customer service, fantastic pricing, uh, great inventory, and they are just the best at finding imports and bringing them in here. Uh, if you're looking for something that is out, uh, perhaps overseas, but not yet been released here, go check out Game Surplus because if they don't already have it, they'll be able to track it down for you and get it shipped off to you super safe and uh, with lightning speed. That's GameSurplus.com. I also want to give a, sh- a shout-out to my local game store, uh, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, they are a growing resource here in the northeastern PA region, so if you're looking for a great place to go and play games, lots of open space, a huge inventory of games, look no farther than The Gamer's Edge, right on Main Street in Stroudsburg, conveniently located off of Interstate 80. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View, and today I am very pleased to be joined once again uh, by many-time contributor, multi-contributor, I guess you would say, the multi-man himself, Joel Eddy. Joel, hello and welcome, and thanks for being on the show. Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you actually just boo me for calling you the multi-man? You are, uh, that was like your superhero name. I just gave you a superhero name, and you booed was... me. That was the that crowd was... booing me, being back yet again. <laughs> now, now, everybody loves having uh, uh, listening to you, and of course, you are uh, most well known for drive through reviews, uh, providing a huge service uh, to the board gaming hobby with uh, all of your uh, video reviews and overviews and uh, uh, micro reviews. I just watched the one you did of Twilight Struggle Deluxe Edition, and uh, you know, I just absolutely uh, love to have you on the show um, and appreciate you taking the time out of your hugely busy schedule so uh joel uh when i had talked with you last kind of chatting back and forth with email um you know i, I know you were a little sad because uh, the seahawks run ended um I'm out. and uh, I'm that done. was a little we're hurtful <laughs> <Cut the feed. laughs> that was it cut the feed um but i thought that kind of gave you like a little more time because you're not like consumed with watching endless news cycles of speculation about what will happen in the big game <laughs> Uh, and then it never turns out the way they say it's going to turn out, does no, it? it does um, and I, of course, being an Eagles fan, have absolutely nothing on my schedule <laughs> for the next week. So, for the next few years, um, let's be honest, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so I was really glad that uh, you had a little hole in your schedule there. And so uh, when we had bandied about kind of ideas that we were going to be uh, maybe talking about, uh, the one that you kind of selected was Battle Lore. Um, which is a game that I have, I own, I've played it. Um, uh, and, you know, it's it's one that has been around for quite some time. And it's recently kind of gotten a, 
sort of a, a breath of fresh air in the new edition that's been released, uh, which, you know, everyone's kind of calling Battlelore 2.0. So uh, when, you know, you brought that up, I thought, oh, yeah, let's do that, because I don't think I've actually done any of the commands and colors kinds of games or the game system. We've talked about it in a cursory faction with, uh, uh, you know, uh, other guests in the past, but haven't done a full episode about any of them. So I thought, wow, this would be a great opportunity to talk about that whole system, but specifically about Battlelore and the new release of Battle Lore and the new edition. So, um, you know, Joel, uh, you know, can you tell us maybe a little bit about your history with this game? Like, how long are, are you just a 2.0 guy or were you a guy who was invested in the system before? How did you come to it? Did you come to it through Commands and Colors? What can you tell us? Yeah, so I have played the uh, first edition and also a kind of an offshoot. It's not really the same game, but it's called a Battle Lore game and that's Battles of Westeros, which is sort of like battle lore set in the game of thrones universe and right, then, right. of course second edition i'm probably most familiar with that uh having been uh, a couple of years now since i played the other two but uh but i'm also kind of a big fan of the commands and colors system which battle lore 2.0 is not strictly it kind of is and it kind of isn't uh, but i enjoy memoir 44 and Command and Colors Ancients, and Command and Colors of Napoleonics, I've played that one. I've played, let's see, Samurai Battles, um, probably, and the, the first one was on the Civil War, a Battle Cry, and I'm sure I've played a couple more that I'm forgetting, but I, I'm i kind of a big fan of the Command and Colors series in general, uh, and I will say that Battler 2.0 or 2nd Edition is my favorite game, kind of in that realm. Um, but it was a slow kind of process. Uh, I think I think the first one I played was either Memoir or Battlecry. I don't really remember which was first. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing Memoir with my son a few times. Uh, and didn't really, you know, jive with me the first few times. But then I got a chance to play Battle Lore, as well as the Command and Colors, Napoleonics, and Ancients first before that. And that's when it kind of really started to... Uh, get into you know into me and, and get into a position where I'd kind of enjoyed it a lot more and I think it has something to do with the more melee uh, focused battles versus you know ranged combat which is what memoir and battle cry were really all about right right and you know each of them definitely has its own kind of flavor that's for sure um, there are many in this sort of series that that I've tried nowhere near as many as you have uh, but I have played memoir 44 um, and and found that to be a, a very interesting game beautiful components of course you got a days of wonder game uh, you know uh, beautiful little miniatures and whatnot um, and then uh, after that I tried commands and colors ancients that was kind of my next step and the things that i didn't like about memoir 44 i found that i did kind of like a little bit better in commands and colors ancients uh, but i still kind of felt that i had a, a few reservations about it and then i tried battle lore and honestly it was mostly just because of the theme i don't know about you joel but i i was kind of drawn to that kind of theme it's like ooh, okay so it's kind of like medieval kind of style soldiers but then there's like giant spiders and monsters and stuff i like this you know this is kind of right. cool and then there was that whole addition of this sort of lore system, you know, this mm -hmm. idea of, you know, spells and different things that you can do to really kind of influence the battlefield. And I thought, okay, this is kind of, you know, this is more up my alley uh, because it's kind of taken me back almost to like 
little bit of my role playing days, you know, a little bit of a D and D feel to it. You know, I've got this, these, uh, you know, these characters, and um, you know, I can build up my lore and then spend the lore to do these neat effects during the course of the game. Uh, and some of them are, are quite powerful and potent. And I'm like, wow, this is really kind of cool. And so I played that quite a few times, um, and then eventually it kind of like fell out of my rotation. Uh, I still have it. I have the first edition. I have not, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, played the second edition at all. Uh, I've kind of seen it. I've picked it up at my local store, the Gamer's Edge, and kind of peeked at it. Um, but I, I kind of like, well, you know, it hasn't never really took off with me and my son in the way that I was kind of hoping it would. And so I kind of have held off from trying the second edition, uh, though I've heard that there's a lot of different sort of uh, improvements and tweaks that I hope maybe we can talk about the differences between the two of those at a later time. So that's kind of my backstory with the game as well, and I appreciate you sharing yours. Um, before we go any further, um, you know, I think one of the things that we could do is, is sort of just um, maybe if you could give a little brief overview of the basics of gameplay, um, you know, how it works and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of, of richness and detail that I don't think we, we can really get into here or that we would want to, but can right. you give us kind of a general overview? Well, I mean, the commands and color system in generally is you separate the map into three kind of wedges. You have a central wedge and then a left and a right wedge. Uh, and then you get a hand of cards, command cards, that allow you to activate a different groups of units. So you'll have a unit with multiple figures usually, and you will activate that group, and then you can move them all uh, as a group. And a number of hexes based on the type of unit it is. So if we're talking memoir, like a tank can move a certain distance versus a foot soldier. And in battle or terms, you might have these big stone golems or just kind of regular... Uh, you know, melee combat soldiers or birds or dragons or whatever. And after you move whatever group of units, then you can maybe attack with them if they're within range of some enemy units. Um, and so a lot of times you'll have a card that will say activate three groups in the center and you activate three groups or activate one group in each of the wedges, so left, center, right, uh, and so on. And then you'll have special ones that'll say, uh, depending on the game, a lot of times they'll say activate a number of infantry units that are adjacent to enemy units. And so you can go and activate those, and they're more specialized. Um, and then you activate those. And now the addition, you mentioned the, the lore cards in Battle Lore, in both editions, uh, you have these special abilities that you can do. And in the case of, let's see, both editions of Battle Lore and also Samurai Battles has this as well, you sometimes will roll a dice during combat, and that'll be hits and misses and and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes you'll roll like a lore symbol, and that will generate lore for you. And these are kind of like mana points or magic points. And you'll get points every turn as well at the end of the turn. It's different from game to game. But uh, you can get those and spend those. And the cards will tell you like when you can use them. It'll say, after you've attacked, play this card. Or after your opponent's attack, play this card. Um, and you know maybe after you move, play this card, and you can move an extra step or something, or get a, a second attack with one of your units. And so you can do those. Uh, and so you just... Uh, most of the time, the Command and Color system is basically wipe out your opponents. But a lot of times, there's also, like, objectives to control and different maps. And the way that Battle Lord 2 does that is really, really neat. Um, and uh, so that's kind of the gist of the system. It's just kind of you play cards and you roll dice. You know, depending on which unit you're activating, they're going to roll a certain number of attack dice. 
There might be special symbols on the dice that activate a special ability for that unit. So uh, you can have like an archer unit, for example, that if you roll the little uh, uh, the little knight symbol there, it'll activate a like a poison attack. So it'll put sort of like a dot on you know whoever you're attacking and so on. And it has the whole all of them have a concept of retreat. So sometimes you're if you're defending, the unit will take hits and you'll remove figures. Uh, but you might roll these flags, which push them back. And the retreat works slightly differently sometimes in the different games. Uh, usually, so it's just kind of pushing either towards your side of the board or directly opposite of the angle kind of that the attacking figures pointed. And if you retreat back far enough and you get to a point where, like, you can't retreat because there's another unit or a building or something, then you'll start taking hits in that way. And sometimes you'll have different effects that will trigger off of the retreat action uh, that's kind of the gist of the gameplay. So it's very simple, kind of play a card, draw a card, and you know activate some units. Right, right. Well, thanks for the overview um, of that kind of uh, the whole system. Um, and you know, as both of us have talked about, there's a lot more to it. But that is kind of the heart of the system. This idea of you play a card to activate, um, you know, some troops in a region, and then you see what you can do. Um, and then it's got some nice dice chucking in there to kind of keep things uh, kind of exciting. And, you know, you you can have these interesting kind of, as you said, retreat maneuvers. So there's a lot of conflict. Um, there's some terrain rules and things, yep. you know, as far as cover and, you know, moving into and out of and like through forests and, you know, different kinds of things that will kind of pop up as well that make things interesting. But it's not overly fiddly. You know, mm -hmm. it's not overly difficult to remember the terrain modifiers and rules. And there's there's all sorts of really good player aids and things that come with the game. And then, of course, a multitude of things that you can print out from the geek. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of has this unique... Uh, fluid kind of feel to it in some ways because very few engagements end up being sort of decisive that first time around and you alluded to this and it's because of the retreating and withdrawing kind of options that you often have it's kind of difficult to kind of really pin somebody down and just completely wipe them uh, out sometimes. You know, it, you, you can kind of winnow away at them and, and, you know, or you'll think you kind of have this nice, crush, you know, crushing kind of maneuver that you're going to be able to do or you're in position and, you know, maybe you can't activate that group and people can kind of slip away. And, and it's one of the things that I find kind of interesting about the game but also sometimes frustrating and that's something we're going to kind of return to a little bit later when we talk a little bit more about the card-driven system. Um, I also want to kind of just give a little bit of the basic stats of the game. So um, looking at Board Game Geek here, this uh, is a game designed by Richard Borg. Um, it is currently rated as 7.43, which is quite a respectable rating considering the fact that this game was put out in 2006. Um, it is listed for two players, but you can also play, there are lots and lots of expansions, especially for the first edition, like Epic Battle Lore and things of that nature, where you know you can kind of do almost like team play or, or more players um, in the same way that you can with, like, I think it's called Overlord from MR44. Um, and so there's these different kinds of options that you can add in. And all sorts of expansions were released for the games of different types of troops and different kinds of creatures and whatnot uh, that can come into play to kind of keep things fresh. Um, it says it's for ages 10 and up, and I'd say that's probably pretty accurate. And it says it plays in about an hour. Now, that's something that... 
I would agree with it plays in about an hour. However, the setup time can be a little bit daunting for this game. And that's one of the things that kind of kept it out of my more regular rotation was the fact that it's not always easy to set up this game. Uh, Did you ever find that that was an issue for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I said earlier, I played... You know, memoir with my son, he also has enjoyed playing Battle Lore. And it was one of those where, okay, Dad, when you're done setting it up, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, but the thing is, is once you kind of get everything set up and laid out, then it's really easy to sort of reset everything and play again. It's kind of an initial sort of unpacking uh, from my experience that takes some time. So whenever I play any of these Command & Color games, I really like to sit down and play like two, three games in a row. Uh, you know, to kind of make the setup worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, or kind of what we would do is is set it up, uh, play it, and then just leave it set up somewhere. And then maybe the next night or a couple nights later, just do that same scenario again because of exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Um, it just it really does take a while to find the right units. Um, you, there's these little flags that you would attach, to kind of indicate which side that you know these units belong to. Um, you know, some people really invested in it though, and they painted the miniatures because the miniatures that come mm. with the game are really gorgeous. I mean, they're really nice miniatures, uh, especially mm. considering this was back in 2006. And I understand from reviews and things that I've read that the new miniatures are supposed to be even nicer uh, than the originals, and so. Um, yeah. You know, you can really kind of go all out with this game if, if you really want to. Um, but the setup time really was something that was a bit of a hurdle for me, and I think it's something that people should know going in. I mean, this is almost like a sort of a scenario-based war game, you know, um, fantasy theme, but all of these are kind of almost scenario or battle-based, and so I think sometimes it is best to kind of set it up and just play the same thing quite a few times until you kind of feel like you've either mastered it or understood it or gotten out of it whatever you want to get out of it and then you can move on to something fresh but it's going to take you a little while to kind of reset everything that's for sure um so one of the things that um i found really interesting about the game was the sort of asymmetry that was often present in the game Uh, a lot of the scenarios are set up so that there's a little bit of a Uh, there's there's definitely differences between the two sides and I always found that to be really fascinating because it wasn't just like two equal armies staring at each other in tight formation and then going at it Um, you know there were definitely differences I found and I found that to be kind of interesting and challenging is that something that you noticed as well or or no yeah I think that's pretty indicative of most of the uh, commands and color systems. I mean, not all of them for sure. Some of the more realistic ones, it's not. But, you know, like you have the dwarves and the elves, and then in Battle Lore, of course, you have the uh, the monsters that you can add, the spiders and dragons and the giants and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so that also adds to the asymmetry because you can... I don't honestly remember how it worked where you pick the different sort of neutral characters in the old one. But I think it was part of building your lore deck. I can't remember, to be honest. But in the new one, you kind of draft your neutral character. So if you've got the dragon and the razor wings and the giant out there, you kind of pick and choose uh, and have a little pre-draft. And then you can put them into your uh, your little army that you've come to battle with and then go from there. Uh, the interesting thing about the second edition, though, getting back to the kind of the scenarios and sort of the asymmetry, asymmetry of it, 
as the original, you have kind of like your set scenario. You, you set it up, you play it. I like a lot of the Commands and Colors games. This one, uh, the second edition, has a little thing where you can take some cards and just kind of pick and choose one or just draft from your own personal little half of a scenario. So each faction has this little deck or multiple decks now that there's expansions of scenario cards and you pick one and then you kind of butt it up against the one that your opponent picked. So if you're playing the Uthix and I'm playing the Undead, you'll pick one, I'll pick one, we'll mash it together and then it will tell you actually how to construct the battlefield based on the terrain and then that will also kind of generate the victory conditions and also usually a special ability that's happening you know in the scenario. Uh, so that adds a little bit of setup time, uh, probably actually more in the second edition than there is in the, the first edition for sure, because you've got to sort of figure out which scenario half you want to be and then put that together, and then you start building after you've chosen that, um, and then you know then you go from there. And then after that, you actually deploy secretly all of your units. Uh, so you have a, a either you can do a fixed army. There's a few fixed armies that you can get. And they just tell you these are the units in your in your army, or you can go and just kind of do a point system and say, okay, I've got 50 points worth of stuff. Let me just lay these cards down, and you can put kind of like little decoy cards down there, like the little Hobbit-sized cards. You actually physically put them on the hexes, and then everybody kind of simultaneously reveals, and then you actually put the figures there. So that adds a little bit more time as well. But I really enjoy that. Uh, you know, as far as there is some thought and some strategy in terms of, okay, this is the scenario, how it's going to be. He's got this maybe special building that he needs to control, which is going to generate points for him if he controls it at the end of every turn. There might be kind of a special hill or something where I need to, you know, keep everybody off of that. Or there might be like a little crystal generator that generates extra movement points or extra attack dice and stuff like that. Um, so you, you kind of go, okay, this is this, uh, the layout of the terrain, but where do I want to put my really big units that are, can take some hits versus my archers? And so that's a whole part of the game, which is you kind of miss and just kind of like, here's your scenario, set it up. Um, you have that sort of, you know, intel going into it that you've got to deal with, but it does certainly add extra time <laughs> to set up well it sounds like though it, it adds a, a huge amount of replayability and variety number one and number two yeah it sounds like it also gives a, a that sort of fog of war aspect of you know not really knowing initially what it is that you're up against yes right and i should say it does have some pre-setup scenarios and they have kind of like a, a scenario builder online at fantasy flight games website and there's some official ones there designed. I think Richard Borg designed a few of those as well. So you can actually download those and print them out. And there's some really neat ones actually online that you can pull down, kind of like a King of the Hill thing. And there's some kind of really funky, uh, you know, sort of out-of-the-box types of scenarios that you can pull down that are really cool. Very neat, very neat. Well, that sounds like a definitely an interesting change between the first and the second edition for sure. Um so, you know, one of the things that I'd like to do is, you know, we keep talking about this system. And this is a system that's really designed around this left-center-right kind of idea and what are used, uh, what are called command cards, basically. 
And so, you know, in Memoir 44, I, you know, used it in uh, Commands and Colors Ancients. You have the same thing, but you have what are called leader cards that can kind of help you out a little bit from what it is I'm going to describe. And I kind of felt like battle lore helped a little bit with the lore itself and sort of the special things that you could do with that. But uh, at its heart, what you have is, you know, you have a hand of cards. And that hand of cards is going to allow you to activate units... Um, in a certain section of the board. And so if you happen to have the card that you need to activate the group that you want to gr- you know that you want to activate to move in for this kind of killer attack that you've been setting up for, you're going to feel really good about this. I mean, you're going to feel very happy. You know, <laughs> you're like, okay, all of my plans are coming to fruition. But I've also played games of of, you know, any of these that we've talked about, Memoir, Commands and Colors or Battle Lore where I kind of have your guys pinned dead to rights, massive force staring at them from a very limited distance away, and yet I don't have the card that I need to play in order to get them to actually move in and do what they need to do. And this this has led for to me to some really frustrating gameplays where I kind of feel like I've... I've kind of outmaneuvered my opponent or my strategy was better or I'm in a good situation because I worked hard to get there and now everyone just kind of seems to be sitting there staring at each other like, well, what are we supposed to do? It's like, well, guys, they're right there. You know, it's it's not like it's nighttime. It's not like they're like, you know, two hexes away from you across this red line and it's like they're right there. You need to go get them and they're kind of sitting there like, well, you know, I don't know. Let's have a sandwich. I, it it kind of bothers me a little bit, um, and, and it's kind of my only beef with all of these games. Um, and, and it's one of the things that's kept them from being like kind of my go-to or favorite kind of uh, two-player sort of war games. Because uh, Commands and Colors is you know Ancients in particular. I haven't tried Napoleonics, but I mean that's definitely a war game. You know that that is not a light game. Uh, that is a game that is, um, you know, highly sort of researched and historical notes and all kinds of different units and elephants and, you know, just all this really kind of cool stuff that obviously a lot of thought and development went into. But then you have this sort of weird card system whereby if you don't have a card that you need for several turns, you can really be hurt by that. Now, you know, I understand that that's supposed to also be part of the fog of war thing, you know, of, you know, communication lines, especially in olden times, uh, was not always at its best. You know, we're not talking about satellite communications and phones and, uh, you know, AWACS planes in the air here uh, coordinating all of these military units. We're talking about people using, you know, flags and runners and riders and, Uh, You know, that's how communication on the battlefield is between different units and groups. So I understand that there can be some confusion, a little bit of chaos, but I I kind of also felt as a game, like it's almost like, all right, I can buy that logic thematically, but as a player of the game, it's incredibly irritating at times. Um, What do you think about that whole command card system? You know, I was on the same page as you for uh, a fair amount of time. And I don't honestly remember when it clicked. I think it was when I was playing either the first Battle Lore or Command of Colors Ancients. 
And I really felt it was odd in like the memoir and battle cry. Cause like, dude, just shoot the guy. You can see him <laughs> pull the trigger, you know, right, like, right. Um, Why would the tank and, stop there? You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like literally there's, there's infantry right in front of you. Just pull the trigger, man. Right. Just right. lay, you know, um, now thematically, I think, yes, there's fog of war. There's also kind of the whole idea of like morale. So maybe the guys are scared, you know, their buddies have just been killed and they're cowering. And so that kind of, that's kind of the other thematic excuse <laughs> that I use. Um, but one thing that I've found out is to me, the, the, actually the card drop doesn't bother me whatsoever anymore. Uh, the thing that I will find that is comes in lucky and can be frustrating is the dice, of course. But right, right. My sort of principle that I base that on is that I try to never play the last card or only card that I have that could activate like a particular flank. So if I only have like one left hand flank card, I really try not to play that one unless I until I draw a second one. So that, okay, I've got that, and I can follow up with you know another one if I need to, you know, activate that and kind of push that side a little bit more. Now, that's not always the case, but I just kind of play that sort of very conservative approach to the card player. Try not to double down too much on a particular approach because I think it's an, almost an inevitability that you're going to not draw what you need. So you have to play sort of with that mindset. And I don't know, maybe it's just something about putting myself into that mindset. It makes it you know, really palatable for me to, to play with. Um, one interesting sort of sidetrack, but it's still in the Command of Colors universe, is um, you think about uh, samurai battles and how it worked. And it had this sort of similar concept of lore and everything. I can't remember what it was called. I think it was called morale. But one of the things it had also was leaders, kind of like uh, ancients and, and Napoleonic, right. where if your leader had to retreat, you had to like do a roll, and this has been a couple of years since I played it. But you actually would actually eat up that lore, those lore tokens or that that energy, and you might actually have sort of this uh, thing trigger. It was like kind of a chaotic, uh, you know, dispersion of your troops in the battlefield. They break, be yeah, very, they break. Yeah, they break, and then you know they go all over the place. And I thought that was very interesting because that sort of added in an extra consideration. For when do I spend my lore card? Because, yeah, I, I want to conserve and maybe I, I play this quick lore card or I kind of build up for the big hammer that cost me nine lore. But in that game, you had to also think about conserving it because if my leader gets jacked up, I need some extra lore to spend or else there's going to be chaos in the ranks. And to me, I find that really thematic and really nice little piece to chew on. And it kind of goes back to the whole LCR thing. You know, <laughs> like, is it LCR the war game? But, um, you have to be very mindful of sort of, you know, empathetic towards your troops. Right. In a way. Yeah. Um, so I, to me, I, I get over it pretty quickly. And I think in the melee types of games, it makes a little bit more sense. Whereas in the more ranged games, cause you can just get to anybody. So like you said, if your opponent has cards that are driving their, their forces, they can kind of just take pot shots at you. Whereas if they're playing melee, then they're exerting, they're wasting those cards and you can kind of sort of sucker them into a trap and and hit them. And the other thing about the melee games is I think all of them have the concept of a counterattack. Yeah. So yeah, if we're adjacent to each other, you attack me, well, I get to attack you too. Right, right. And it could, it could be a bloody mess for both of right. us. Um, so to me, there's just that little bit of extra decision there in terms of like spatial 
you know, aspects of like, okay, I can get behind this tree and we can sit back here for a little while. If I don't have cards or, you know, they're, they're kind of protected by the terrain. Um, and it seems like there's just a little bit more of that in these more melee centric games. Yeah. It's interesting because you're yeah. almost talking about, um, you're almost talking about the game and, and the battle cards in particular as like a hand management kind of a thing now, right? Oh, absolutely. Where, yeah. you know, yeah. you're talking about trying to bank a number of cards for the different, uh, uh, you know, areas of the board so that you're not kind of caught without any options. And uh, that's definitely an interesting way to look at it. And, and I can definitely tell you that's not the way I had been looking at it. So, uh, you know, maybe that's something I can kind of take a peek at and sort of adjust my mindset to it because, you know, to me, it just seems silly not to press an advantage when I saw an opening, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And as you said, to kind of sit back and say, well, let's just hang out in this forest for a little while or let's let's hang out, you know, behind this hill, um, you know, where we're kind of protected and just kind of regroup, rest, you know, get ready for a big push um, thematically while in game turns you're basically trying to, you know, get some, some cards. You're trying to get some cards into your yeah. hand. Um, so that you have more options, maybe it does represent more rested troops. You know, I don't know. There's there's all kinds of ways that you can justify it. I just don't know if I like it is the problem because I've had too many games where it's really kind of bitten me. And one of the things that I've discovered about myself as a gamer is uh, I kind of have matured enough, thankfully, over the years that I don't really care so much if I lose games anymore. Um, if I lose a game, if I'm outplayed, I'm still going to have a good time and I'm going to like tip my hat to you. Um, but if I feel I've outplayed you yeah, and I lose because of not getting a card mm -hmm. or, you know, the dice, which, you know, we've mentioned, uh, we haven't talked a lot about them because they're dice. I mean, you know, what can you say? Anytime you have dice in a game, there's going to be a certain amount of randomness in, in the possible results and things won't always go your way. But, you know, to me, it's like if I kind of feel like I've outplayed, outmaneuvered, and then I still end up kind of losing because of not being able to grab a card that I need, that's the kind of thing that will sour me on an experience. Now, you know, all that being said, I still have bad lore, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I still have it. It's not like I've gotten rid of it. Um, but I did end up moving, you know, Commands and Colors Ancients along, which I thought actually handled that better than Battle Lore, but thematically Battle Lore worked a little bit more for me. Um, you know, Commands and Colors Ancients, I'm trying to remember exactly how it worked, but like your leader card could kind of, your leaders could kind of um, almost, uh, they could kind of command a group that you didn't have a card for and allow you to not get kind of hemmed in or, or, or stuck like that. I hope I'm remembering that right. Do you remember what I'm talking about there? Or am I just hallucinating all of this? Um, well, there's one thing where you can discard a card and you can activate any one unit that we're talking about. You can, you can always just activate a, a unit. It's possible. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Where, you know, you guess you get like some limited, you know, ability to do something that you don't have a card for. Right, you can um, always. I thought it was yeah. tied to the leaders somehow, but maybe it's not. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean that that was something that I appreciated about that design. But actually, commands and colors ancients ended up being more complex than I was looking for for who I was looking to play it with, which was you know uh, my kid. Um, right. And so I kind of 
uh, invested in some other ideas for war games, but I, I do remember that little aspect of that um, design. So thanks for clarifying that in my foggy memory about it. But you sure. know that was something that I liked about that. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is there is there something to what I'm saying there? This idea of you know when you lose a game where you feel you've outplayed somebody like that that kind of sticks in in my craw a little bit. And I don't like that. Is that have you ever had that happen or felt that happen in this game? Oh yeah, I mean I have for sure, and I guess I just I'm okay with it. It's kind of like I mean I've had that happen in a lot of games. Um, you know I can specifically think of a game just like this but very different is magic the gathering where i feel like you know hey i played good and then i drew lands for the last three turns and you know right, i right. just kind of right, got stuck right. so and i've played a lot of that kind of style of game in the trading card games uh so maybe i'm just kind of been hardened a little bit uh by that you know so but yeah i i mean i get the i get the point of it and i think that these games are kind of more they kind of far fall more into that realm versus you know, the heavier war games, a little bit more strategic war games. This this is very much, it, there are war games, you know, and they're just a little bit lighter of a war game, and they're a little bit more open to, to luck and everything like that. Right, right. And, and then, of course, you know, I guess we might as well talk about the dice while we're talking about the sort of random factors um, in the game. Um, right. You know, Battle Lore has its kind of own sort of custom dice that it uses. Um, can you, t if, if people aren't familiar, can you kind of tell you know a little bit about the dice and how the dice work? Yeah, well, it's a little bit different in the two editions of the game. Uh, the original is a actually a traditional command and colors game. So the commands comes from the command card, and the colors comes from the dice. So. If you roll a certain color, or basically a certain unit type, and then you'll do damage to that. Whereas in the new edition, you have, I don't know if it's traditional, but I see it in a lot of games where you either roll melee hits or, or ranged hits. Uh, so you're not really rolling to what you're actually targeting, which is a different. I can't remember what that system's called. It's actually, a, there's a name for it. So it's like a commands and whatever that is. It's not really commands and colors. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, I, I can't remember either. But yeah, you also have the option to roll a lore, and if you roll lore, then that will either generate lore for you, or sometimes it will actually trigger an effect as well. Um, and then you have another one, I can't remember what the symbol is, it's a little like, like a crown kind of symbol, and that will actually trigger effects for different units and things as well. Yeah, you know, and the dice are kind of fascinating because uh, the the colors, the color systems of the dice um, were weighted towards the type of unit that was under attack, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. So, like, you know, yeah. if you're attacking like a heavy infantry unit, uh, I think uh, I think their color was red or something. Like, yeah. there's only like one red face on that die, and so it's very difficult to do damage to them. Right. But if you got a bunch of green archers, um, you know, they can get walloped uh, fairly easily, you know. Um, yeah. And then I think blue was kind of in the middle. I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm remembering my colors right. But then you so you kind of had these different types of troops, these different types of units. And the dice system was really kind of cool for, you know, resolving hits because, you know, you'd march up and, and, you know, you might have a fairly overwhelming force against a heavy sort of infantry unit. But, 
you could roll a fistful of dice and still only get like one red result. And so out of those four heavy infantry uh, units that make up that group, you know, they lost one. Um, and now they might even have the ability to battle back. And if they battle back, you, yep. you know, you could seriously get a bloody nose from that. And so I really liked the simplicity of the dice on the one hand for uh, taking away a lot of complicated sort of CRT style modifiers that you would have had to have used right. in a more traditional game, you know, where you have kind of like veteran units versus green units or, you know, elite units and all this kind of stuff. Well, that was kind of baked into the dice. And so I really kind of give uh, credit um, to that kind of idea because it really streamlines things uh, a huge amount, at least in my mind. Um, but then again, you know, you also have uh, those kind of luck factors. And, you know, if I'm rolling that fistful of dice and I only need one red, you'd yeah. like to think probability, you know, would, would be with me and on my side and uh, I would get at least one. It's like, oh, shoot, I didn't, you know, and... Uh, then the next turn comes up and I play another card and activate this huge group. And it's like, okay, I'm going to roll a bunch more dice and I just need that one red and it doesn't happen. And you're like, you know, who is this guy? You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, you know, it's like, <laughs> who are those guys? You know, all we see is the white skimmer, you know, <laughs> he's like coming across and you're like, I can't get this guy. I can't get, you know, knock this guy off to save my life. Um, And so, that can lead to a little frustration too, but that bothered me a whole lot less than the the sort of command card system. What what's your feelings about the dice? And do you prefer the dice, the the color system from the first edition, or do you like the new system, whatever it might be called? Because we we don't remember. Yeah, um, you know, I do kind of miss the colors part of it. Uh, everything that you, you talked about, uh, you know, rings true. Um, I don't know. I don't hate the new one like it has some little quirks to it like some of the sides have one sword and some of the sides have two so if your unit is weakened which means you only have one figure remaining then it's not going to do a hit if you only roll the one sword you've got to roll the two sword and so on um so there's some other little things like that but yeah i mean it's not really a commands and color system because of what you you talked about there it doesn't have that in it now it doesn't you know, substitute that with the CRT, it's, I don't know, I find that at the end of the day, like, it's a, it seems like it's a little bit bloodier, um, you know, like, you, you, you can have a little bit more massive, like, decimating rolls, it seems like, but I don't really know, I think you'd have to really kind of sit down and do the math and the probabilities and different, you know, unit types versus other unit types and so on, Right. Um, but it, it feels like slightly different, but it's really hard for me to pin down and tell you why, um, but yeah, it's it's pretty close. Let's just right. say that. Yeah. Well, we'd have to get Jeff Engelstein on that. So uh, Jeff, you know, I was, do the math. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. not my area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. So uh, you know, I think uh, um, you know. Let's talk a little bit about terrain. Um, I kind of felt that the uh, battle lore kind of, and really the whole commands and colors system terrain was handled in a really interesting way. You know, you kind of have this generic sort of battlefield and then you have these, these hexagonal tiles that you can sort of place out in the proper positions to simulate things like hilltops and uh, streams. Uh, where is there a ford? Where isn't there a ford? Or where's there a bridge? Where isn't there a bridge? Where's a forest? Where is it, you know, 
And the I kind of felt that the terrain modifiers were pretty reasonable. They were easy to reference. It wasn't overly complex. And the modular sort of makeup of that board really kind of offered a lot of replay value and a lot of interesting kinds of configurations and some strategic decisions about how you're going to advance, where you're going to try to hold up, um, you know, you have a little bit of that idea of the the value of elevated terrain, um, you know, things of that nature. So, um, can we talk a little bit about the terrain? What do you think of the terrain system in uh, in general? And then, does Battle Lore 2.0 change that or modify that in any way? No, yeah, probably a little bit somehow, but I don't think so. I think across the board, the uh, commands and colors uh, systems tend to be pretty similar. Like you can't shoot through a forest or over a mountain and all that kind of stuff. And when you enter a forest, you've got to stop and, you know, things like that. If you enter a building, you've got to stop or you you roll like an extra defensive die if you're inside a building and, you know, different things like that. Like pretty easy to understand. And the one thing that's really cool about it, and they see, I think all the games do this, is they give you these cards. So not only do you have like cards for the different unit types, so like you've got a card for your giant or a card for your dwarf or whatever, You've also got a card for Forest, and you just look at there and go, oh, that's what Forest does. And you can just kind of lay those on the side of the board, um, and it's very easy to just look and, and see what it does. And if you haven't played for some period of time, you can just set those out and be like, oh, yep, that's what the Forest does, and move right along. And there's nothing real too you know hairy about it, which is one of the things I think if you're looking at like getting an intro to war game type of game, these Commands and Colors games are really good for because... You know, not only do you get rid of the CRTs and all that and the way you activate units and give orders, you know, the terrain is really easy to digest and get into. Yeah, I would agree 100% with that. I, I really like the terrain system. It's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole system. Um, and I think it was really innovative um, at the time back in, you know, yeah. when it was first uh, released and, and he kind of first came up with that. And I really haven't seen it done uh, any better except maybe Liberty Roads, um, which has this really interesting idea of, um, you know, the size of the hexes varies depending on the ease of moving through the terrain, which is a fascinating idea. So if you're moving, you know, through really rough terrain, the hexes are small and it's going to take you a long time to get through it. If you're moving through wide open terrain, the hexes are huge and you can just boogie right across. And so... You know, that kind of intuitive sort of thing, I think, is is the only thing I've seen that kind of takes this, this idea that he came up with and kind of modifies it and maybe, you know, possibly improves on it. Uh, I think that's a Dirk Niemeyer's game or something, uh, Liberty Roads War Stories. Um, yeah. But I really do appreciate all of the aspects of the terrain. And like you said, I love the cheat sheet cards because you have the cheat sheet cards for the units. You have the cheat sheet cards for the terrain, um, and everything is just kind of there. And I really also like the iconography. I don't know how you feel about it, but I felt that the icons were very clear in Battle yeah. War. So, like, I could set those cards up, as you said, on the side, and chances are just by glancing at them, it'll be very easy for me to tell what it is I have to remember, or I can simply pick the card up, look at it, and then put it back down when I'm done with it. You know, they're, they're right there between the two of us. And, yeah. um, you know, the player mats for um you know the the lore and the different effects and uh the, the sort of character map that you get in in the first additional battle lore everything is mm -hmm. printed on there for you like everything is right in front of you and i found that 
once I started playing the game, I very rarely had to reference the rule book or anything like that because everything was right in front of me. And I, and I felt that the rules and the thought towards the design and the production and the presentation was really stellar in this game, even if I don't like the command card system. I, th- those are things that I really do appreciate about it. Um, what do you think yeah. about the rules, the rule set, the rule book? Has... Was that something that impressed you as well? And uh, once again, I'm going to ask you the same ubiquitous question. What do you think about 2.0 versus 1.0 with this? Yeah. Um, well, it's been a while since I read the rules for 1.0, but they were pretty straightforward. Uh, they did a nice job, what I remember, of kind of staging you into the game. So if Absolutely. you had sort of come at Battle or and never played, God, really any war game or definitely any Commands and Colors game, it really kind of trickled out the information. So it's like, here's a card, you play this. When you activate a unit, you know, you move these guys first, and then you do that. And then the next chapter was like combat. And it very kind of piecemeal uh, did it out. And then it you know, eventually got into like constructing your lore deck and adding the cool crazy units and all that kind of stuff. So you could really, if, if I recall correctly, you could play the game without the lore. Absolutely, yeah. For the first chunk, yeah. And then you get into that. And the new one kind of does the same thing as well. Um, it, you know, it's a fantasy flight game, so it kind of has that fantasy flight flair with the rules. I don't mean that in a negative way, because I think the rules have vastly improved over the last couple of years. Uh, but it's also easy to get into. Um, I would say probably I'd have to get tip a hat to the original edition, because it's just so methodically and well thought out. And, you know, there's there was a ton of care put into that rule book. Um but in generally, you know, the Commands and Colors series, once you play one, you kind of know the others from there. Uh, and once you're in, you're in. You know? Right, right, yeah. No, I would agree. And, and I, I also uh, appreciated what you were talking about, the sort of unfolding of the system. So I think, like, yeah. when you play Battlelore First Edition, I think, like, it's something like the Battle of Hastings or something is, like, the first scenario. And it's like, here's a bunch of archers, you know, here's here's some infantry and basic terrain, go, you know. Right. And then the the next scenario ramps it up a little bit more. You know, okay, now we're going to look at, you know, cavalry or we're going to look at, um, you know, this different aspect or, you know, we're going to look at trying to cross water. And, you know, the next scenario introduces something else. Right. And so right. it's a really nice way, as you said, it doesn't hit you full force with everything at once. And yet I don't know how many times I played those first two or three scenarios out of the original battle lore. Uh, a lot of times because I was teaching new people. But it was one of those things where I didn't mind. You know, sometimes when you're teaching new people, you're like, oh, man, I really wish I was playing with the full boat. Um, you know, I know how to play this game, and I got to teach a noob. But it's like, I didn't mind. Like, I still had fun doing those those first few scenarios um, as teaching tools and still found myself enjoying it. And so I think that's another real testament to, as you said, the way they kind of rolled out the game and introduced the system. Um, it was quite clever, actually, I think, a- as well, because I think if you had kind of thrown everything at someone, then you you might have turned some people off. You know, some people might have been like, oh, this is too much. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, if that, if that was the first time you had ever kind of played that kind of uh, hybrid kind of interesting war game entry, it might have scared you off. And this one really didn't. I, I found that that was a really smart, smart move, as you said, um, to kind of phase it in gradually. And, and I like that. Uh, so one of the things that I know we, we definitely wanted to talk about 
was that sort of idea of the first edition versus the second edition. And me not having the chance to play the second edition, I really can't speak with anything really uh, about this at all. Uh, I've read lots of posts about it, and I know that you know people kind of thought that like Battle Lore, the, the the first edition kind of maybe got a little bloated. Um, you know, too many different uh, changes and little tweaks and things had been done to the system, and that this was kind of like a reboot. You know, this was you know, a, a reboot that was going to improve the base game and take it in a different direction, streamline some things that needed to be streamlined, etc., etc. Do you think that Battle Lore, you know, 2.0 accomplished that or not? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess it was a little bit bloated. The thing that was sort of cumbersome about First Edition was the construction of your lore deck and swapping in certain cards based on where you had your little kind of lore dial type of thing. Um, this started off, the second edition started off without that because you just had a lore deck. So if you chose, uh, you know, Uthix, you got that deck or the different, uh, there's a couple of undead kind of factions. You, you grab one of those or the, I can't pronounce the Har- Haramfar or whatever. It's all like uh, that runebound stuff, but... Uh, you just kind of, you know, you pick up a deck. But now that there's expansions, of course, you can kind of go in and customize your lore deck. And so you, <laughs> you swap out a certain number of cards. And so you kind of really kind of back to that whole thing. And now with the second edition, they have the neutral units, which they didn't come out with right away, like the dragon, the, the hill giant, and all that stuff. Uh, so, yeah, they kind of streamlined it and then kind of bloated it back up, which is good for me because there were certain things that I missed about the you know the from the first edition in in it wasn't in the second edition they kind of add those back in customizing your lore deck and you know some of the neutral units uh one thing that's interesting about it is sort of the theme you know it's starting to talk about the differences uh and kind of getting back to the rule book is as you go through that rule book you kind of are just playing sort of like historical medieval combat and then at some point it flips the switch and then you throw in the lore and you throw in the crazy monsters and mm-hmm, it's sort mm-hmm. of this kind of pseudo-historical slash Tolkien-esque sort of splash into that medieval fantasy. Whereas the new battle lore is based in the Tyranoth universe, which is the Runebound universe, and Descent. Um, so it's straight fantasy. I mean, out of the gate, there's, you know, crazy creatures. There's a guy that flies around on a bird. There's a demon that walks around. You know, they, now they've got the undead factions and... There's dragons, and so it's just, it's crazy high fantasy right out of the gate um, as you get in there. So that's kind of a main difference, and that kind of also has a little bit different tone in the game, because the first one, there's more miniatures. I think you got, like, more than twice the number of actual plastic in the first edition versus the new edition. Yeah. But that's because you were playing with, like, a huge, kind of like Warhammer-esque squad, like giant armies you kind of felt like you were controlling a huge army whereas you kind of shrunk the scope in the second edition you know you had like a, a good like squad or two uh, worth of units and so you have like kind of less plastic on the board in this and it's a little bit more along the lines of gosh i'm trying to compare it compared to another it's more of a memoir scope in that side the new edition Whereas right, right. the older edition is kind of lends towards like Command and Colors Ancients, where you have like a lot of stuff on the board. Um, it, I think in Battle Lord One, you got even more usually. So there's a different kind of 
mentality there in terms of how your tactics are going to work. It's, you don't have like just a sea of figures. You've got a lot of figures, but it's not quite as many. So it's different there as well. Well, it sounds like it also opens up a lot more room for maneuverability. You know, like I, I think about yeah. uh, the first edition of Battle Lore, and you really do, you have these these lines, you know, you and you might even have a front line and a reserve line, and they're massive, like you said, and, and maneuverability can become a problem. Like if you can't retreat, if you can't, um, you know, back away, if you get forced off a, a board edge, you know, bad things happen. Right. Um, but it sounds like the new edition, there's a little more freewheeling and that there's there's room to kind of maneuver and and uh, kind of jet around the board a little bit more. Would you say that's true? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I haven't owned the originals, but I think the number of hexes is less as well, though, in the new one. So it kind of balances ah, that okay. out. Right, there's, right. There's, I wouldn't say there's a ton of maneuverability, but you definitely don't have those those kind of walls that will form. And you kind of have that in Ancients, too where you build up this sort of, you know, giant flank of troops that are sort of just coming along and just, you know, you can kind of build up, uh, oh no, wasn't, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking of ancients. Ancients has that, but in Napoleonic, you had a cool thing where you could like build these formations. You could like group up a square and, you know, you could put like a line in front of there. And so that's where you had like cards actually that were driven off the formation of your troops in uh, Napoleonic, which was really cool. But you don't really that have anything. Yeah, I like Napoleonics is probably my second favorite. Uh, I got rid of it sort of with a heavy heart just because I'm like, well, I have so much room on my shelf. And I do like Battle or more than that. But Napoleonics is the one sort of historical one that I really enjoyed just because there there's a lot of cards in there to really sort of play around with, you know, how you're forming your troops on the battlefield, which I thought was really cool. And kind of the balance between those different formations and then using them to sort of repel the cavalry because you could build that like solid unit, that big wall of troops and the cavalry kind of bounce off it in some cases. Um, but you would, you would actually like lose a card. So to form these squares, you actually are down a card from, you know, your opponent as you form them. Yeah, so true. there's a really like a lot of cool extra stuff, uh, in that, um, but yeah, so there, there's that kind of different sensibility there between sort of massive armies versus, you know, a couple of squads. Right, right. Well, it does definitely sound more, you know, definitely intriguing, um, some of those ideas with the formations. I mean, that's something I'd, I would definitely like to check out. So thanks for kind of uh, mentioning that because that wasn't something that I, I was even aware of. So I thought it was just a different setting. Um, yeah. So here, you know, we have another change, you know, to the system, a little addition, a little tweak. Um, that he does to kind of bring out a, the, the differences in a different style of conflict in a different historical period, which is kind of nifty. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for people who are looking at battle lore, perhaps for, you know, the first time, um, you know, what would you say would be your advice to new players? Like, what, what should they maybe think about or, or do, or how would you suggest they move into this game? Because... It is one of those games that's going to be kind of an investment. Yeah. It's not like a lifestyle game, but it's pretty close. You right. Know? Like, I don't know that you could, like, I couldn't sustain Commands and Colors Ancients and Battle Lore 
and combat commander and you know columbia block war games like i i eventually had to start kind of picking like what ones i was going to stick with and so i ended up sticking with battle lore and and that's kind of why i still have that like what would be your recommendation because it's it's a rather kind of it's it is a little bit of a commitment to get into one of these right well the nice thing about the new battle lore well first of all it's in print and the old one is not uh <laughs> but the they have an app for it uh you can play on i think ios i'm not sure about android but there's a sort of a battle lore second edition app i think it's called battle lore command uh in fantasy flight uh coded it in-house and released it and it's an excellent app uh so you can kind of get in and play with that and see if you kind of like it now there is a significant difference in the app which is interesting and I kind of wish they would release a mini expansion to make the board game at least give you the option to play like the app. And so it has one of those mechanics where you actually get every card that you can use. Uh, you do have the, the random draw of the lore cards, but as, as far as all the command cards, you get one of each. So you get like the one that is like, you know, activate three on the left, three on the right, activate one in each flank. Um, you know, you get one that it's like activate your archers, you know, up to three archer units and activate up to three infantry units. But then as you play them, you lose them until you play the card that lets you activate only one unit and then you get all the cards back. Right. So that, yeah, it's almost a Concordia kind of a, an effect. Exactly. Um, and so that's actually a really, really interesting way to play the game. I thought I was like, oh man, I wish the game was actually like this, but... I've actually gone, you know, back and played the the board game. Like I kind of missed the that sort of hand management aspect of it. It becomes kind of puzzly in that way, but you alleviate the whole like I don't have a card, you know, idea. Yeah. It's just like, well, I used the card. Now I've got to play this stupid card that only lacks to make this one unit, <laughs> and then I get everything back and I kind of reset. Right, right. Um, but I would try that. And it's usually around for like five bucks, but I've seen it go on sale for like a buck or two. And so you can pick that up and try that and see if you even like that at all. And then you can get the second edition. And I would just get the second edition uh, base box. Like, I have everything for it. And there's I haven't even played with some of the newest stuff, the, the newest updates to the Undead Faction, for example. I haven't even touched it. And it's just like there's so many miniatures and cards. And it's just like, you know... There's, it becomes at this point it's like it's kind of getting into that bloated section but it's cool i mean it's i have it and i want to play it it's just that i haven't had time or you know a, a buddy to play it with and uh but there is a lot there so if you do get into it you know they have been supporting it and you know some people have been kind of griping about oh they haven't been supporting it with you know inundating us with expansion after expansion every month you know but i'm like kind of like yeah thanks i mean i don't you know, my own kind of OCD would be like, oh, I should, I should get this. I really like this game. I should buy this. I should buy this. You know, right, I like right. that they only come out with something every year or so. <laughs> like, you know, it kind of made it a little easier on me. And right, uh, right. so anyway, so I would get into that. Now, interestingly enough, the other one that I'm interested in is Samurai Battles. And I played the original, which was released from this Russian company, which has gone out of business. But GMT has bought the rights to the Command and Colors aspect of that system. Now, Samurai Battles had kind of two systems bolted on. There was a Command and Color system and some other really quirky but interesting system where you like actually marked down orders on cards. I can't remember the name of the system. It was really cool. But 
So they lost that. And GMT is going to reprint it now instead of miniatures with the blocks. Um, gotcha. And Samurai gotcha. Battles is an excellent game. And for a while there, I kind of thought that was my favorite, uh, you know, Command and Colors game because, it, like I said, it has the whole aspect of managing kind of the morale on the field. And kind of to your point before, we were saying about how he takes this core system and just kind of tweaks it around the edges to fit the scenario and fit the theater. You know, this is another instance where he's done that. You can kind of just feel that massive chaos of these Japanese samurai battles where things would be planned out. And then once you start slicing open people, you know, things just don't go like you <laughs> thought they were going to go. Things get weird. Yes. Yeah, so that yeah, really comes across in that game. And you have the whole sort of, you know, sort of pseudo-mystical kind of thing with the lore cards and these, you know, sort of, they're almost like, you know, feats of difficulty. That they're just like amazing, right, right. miraculous things that the troops will pull off. But you've got to balance that, of course, with the general morale. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's like the Festivus feats of strength. Yes, yeah, Jeff. That's a... <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> but I would say de- no. definitely jump into that. Get get Battle Lore Second Edition to wait for the new GMT game to come out. I think those are those are two top tier in Napoleonics as well. Um, right, right. But and I would say just kind of pick the theme. Uh, you know, for me, Battle Cry and Memoir. I like those themes, but I, I don't find those game that gameplay as interesting. But if you really like the Civil War or World War Two, there's even a new one, World War One. I. I haven't played that one. What, no, I haven't either. That I was intrigued by it, but yeah, um, not enough to pull the trigger on it. It was rather expensive. Yes. And I'm just you know it's trench warfare and and trying to figure out how the system would work with trench warfare on that sort of grand uh, theater scale, I just wasn't quite sure. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something that, that I wouldn't mind playing. I mean, I, I wish, you know, somebody that I knew had it. Right. Um, so that I could check it out. But, yeah. Um, was that the Great War? I think it's called the Great War, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that definitely is, is intriguing as well. So, um, well, you know, um, I think you've given some really good advice here as far as, you know, how to approach the game, um, you know, how to get into it, the different options that people have. I think we've highlighted a lot of the differences between the first and second edition of Battle Lore, but also kind of touched on the, the whole system in general. Um, is there anything else about this game that you kind of wanted to talk about, you know, Battle Lore sort of specifically uh, before we kind of wrap up our discussion about this one? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, the only other thing I would mention is there is a game called Battles of Westeros, which is yes. called a Battle Lore game. And it's as different as second edition is from first edition. It's as different from both of those as those are from each other. Uh, it has an interesting kind of concept. Now, it is set in Westeros, which is the Game of Thrones universe, so there are some characters from there. Which, an interesting sort of tidbit, I played the game before I read the novels and really got into the TV show. And in the novels and the TV show, they like really don't talk about the battles. They're like, oh yeah, the battle happened yesterday and here was the outcome. And the characters will kind of recount what happens in the battle. So you get it from that aspect. But they don't really too much go into the actual battles and you don't really see the battles so much. I mean, sometimes. But a lot of times they kind of gloss over it. And so... That's kind of an interesting thing to kind of reenact some of the battles in the books and the show that you don't really get to actually witness ever, except in the game, which is interesting. And the other difference is 
instead of activating like a left center right kind of thing you it really doubles down on the leader concept so you have some of the different leaders uh and those are some of the main characters in the show like rob stark and jamie lannister and you're activating troops like in a radius so it's kind of like this command radius which you see a lot of in like the uh i think the lock and load system um and that kind of stuff from uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but they did several games. I mean, any war game will know what I'm talking about, where you have like, you know, leadership radius and you activate the leader. And, well, Combat Commander has it too, where you can either activate different troops or you activate the leader right, and you get right. you kind of better bang for your buck. And you've got to kind of protect that. So that is like a different sensibility uh, for the battlefield. And I think it actually fits the theme of that kind of Westerosian battle as well. Now, that one is kind of in print. I think it's yeah. done being printed, but I think it's pretty readily available, and you'll actually see that show up uh, last couple of years anyway on the Fantasy Flight Winter Sale. I think they're kind of shedding those uh, and trying to you know get rid of them. But that one you can still pick it up relatively easily. It's definitely easier than the original Battle Lore. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a that's a great tip for someone who's really into that whole Game of Thrones world. I mean, I know my local game store has a copy of it that's uh, sitting on the shelf there, and I've looked at it, um, you know, and, and I wasn't aware that it kind of really, um, you know, focused more on the leaders, which I think sounds like, you know, uh, an interesting sort of divergence once again, you know, you... The whole Game of Thrones universe is really driven by the characters, you know, whether it's Tyrion or Jamie or Stannis or whatever. And so I think it's only right that in the game it's really going to be driven by those characters, you know, for that flavor to kind of come through. So that sounds like it's a pretty interesting option there as well. Well, Joel, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to uh, talk about Battle Lore. I know it's one that uh, you and I have kind of kicked around a little bit before, but uh, you know, you you have more experience with more of the games in the system, and of course, the second edition. And so, uh, I'm hoping that it's useful to people out there who have been kind of on the fence, like me. You know, do I want to kind of go into you know 2.0, or if I already have you know a lot of the original Battle Lore, um, you know, should I just kind of stick with what I have? And highlighting those differences have been really useful and i also appreciate you kind of kicking around your thoughts about the whole card driven system because that's always been the thing that's kind of bothered me the most and so you definitely gave me something to chew on with the sort of hand management thought process of you know how to kind of approach the game um rather than you know burning through those cards which is what i think i was kind of doing uh, more more frequently maybe than i should have so uh, thanks for taking the time to share your thoughts about that oh my pleasure jeff it's good to be on again well, I appreciate it, and uh, you're always welcome. And uh, I think this puts you back in the lead now, I think, doesn't it? Yes. You are back in well, the lead. I don't lead. know. Lloyd's on it like every other week. Yeah, but Lloyd's kind of doing the quick looks thing now. He's not doing the full long views. And the long view lovers and listeners out there, I think it's between you and Justin Nordstrom. You guys kind of go back and forth a little okay. bit. And I think you are now firmly back in the lead. So, Justin, if you're listening to this, you're going to have to get on the stick um, because uh, Joel has taken the spot once again. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. And for, uh, you know, Joel Eddy and myself, I want to say uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a great night.